Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Our next guest needs no introduction, but we'll give it to you anyway. In today's episode, I chatted with Kat Sadler. Kat is renowned for her work on E! Entertainment, where she spent over a decade as a host and a regular fixture on the red carpet. Today, she hosts and produces her own weekly podcast called It Sure Is a Beautiful Day, which I highly recommend, by the way. It's fabulous. And she launched a video series called Midlife in Me. We chatted about her pregnancy experience after being diagnosed with an incompetent cervix, navigating agoraphobia while postpartum, how she walked away from E after finding out her salary was less than half of her male counterparts, perimenopause, and so much more. It's a fascinating chat, and I hope you enjoy the show. Kat, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I'm so, so happy to dive into all things motherhood. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. Of course, you have such a fascinating story and experience. So really excited to just jump right in. But before we do, I just, let's start at the beginning. You know, who were you and what were you doing before you became a mom? Thank you for that question, because, you know, that's not a question most people ask. And you asked me that. I'm like, what did I do before becoming a mother? (laughs) Because I've been at it now for 22 years. So that's like really, really going back in time. Who was I and what was I doing? I I was a young woman from the Midwest. I had went to college for broadcast journalism And prior to becoming a mom, I had gotten my first job in San Francisco. So it was my first entertainment reporting job on TV. My college sweetheart, who is the father of my two children, had moved to San Francisco with me. And I was, you know, what, 22, 23, 24, just trying to establish myself in television. That was my professional dream. And I did always think I would become a mother. I will tell you, I got engaged to Kyle and I found out I was pregnant a month later. Wow. Yeah. So the motherhood journey went on my lap like real fast. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. How did you feel when you saw the results on that pregnancy test? I felt a really mixed bag of emotions about that because here I was thrust into a really kind of exciting, thrilling, high profile, high pressure job. I was only 25 at the time, but it, it like threw a really, really fast, hard curveball at me. And it wasn't something I was prepared for at all. So in the one sense I was in shock, but in the other sense, there was zero question about the fact that we were going to have that baby. We were engaged. We had been together for six years. We were in love. We were building our lives. But I had to really pivot emotionally, firstly, and go, oh, gosh, okay, you know, what does this mean for our lives? Yeah. Yeah. And were you still in San Francisco? Had you started at E yet? What exactly were you doing? Oh, yeah. So, um, I was working for the WB. If you remember the WB network, this is of way course. back then. Right. So this was a long time before E. This was actually about, well, about six, seven years before E. So I was in local news in San Francisco. And it's interesting because this is a pretty pivotal moment in my motherhood journey in that A, you get pregnant, but B, then it's like, what do our lives look like? And that really, really changed everything. We picked up and moved after that. We went back home to Indiana where I'm from. So everything kind of shifted and there's, there's a long story in that, but um, ultimately I decided I didn't want or need to work 60 hour work weeks, grinding and hustling and all that. I really, really immediately wanted to focus on being a mom. And so I was very, very fortunate enough to do that. But that meant quitting my job at 26, a great job. And like, again, a dream job for that time in my life, uprooting ourselves and moving back to where we're from, from Indiana. So everything shifted. Wow. I mean, the best laid plans though, right? I know. Live in life's terms. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's one of those things where you look back now and you're just like, oh, that's why that happened. And oh, okay, now it all makes sense. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, in today's terms, I really did kind of have kids young. And I was just now looking back, I'm just, I would not have done it any other way. Oh, that's beautiful. So how long did you stay in Indiana? So I made Kyle, my then husband, a, a, a deal. And I was like, okay, let's go back to Indiana. You know, we have these great, exciting lives in California. I was like, let's just go back for a year. He, it worked out for his job. It worked out for me to take time off. And I said, give me one year. And by the way, no one believed me. You know, my former boss, I was like, I'm just going to take a pause. I'm going to take a pause in my career. Oh, good luck. You're just going to go be a mom. Just go be a mom now. You know, everyone thought oh, it was over that. for me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, she's, she's wrapping this career thing up. I was like, no, I, I, I really wrestled with new mother anxiety, being away from home. Like I just knew I had to really, really listen to this kind of pull within that was like, just take a break, come up for air if you can. And because I was able to, I took that year off and I said, when Austin turns one, I'm going to get back in the saddle. And would you believe that we moved back to Indianapolis and um, the local television station there where I had interned at in college called me, literally called me up at 11 months when Austin was 11 months and said, Hey, we're doing this morning show and you have some TV experience. Would you like to come work on our morning show? And so on his one year birthday, literally to the day I signed that contract. Oh my God. That is amazing. It was pretty amazing. I was like, wow, the universe really has my back. This is so, so cool because I really did like quiet myself during that period. Cause it was, it was a really hard decision to make. It's like, you know, you, you work so hard, you build up this career, you've got this whole opportunity to just stop to really focus on that first year with him. That was a year I'll never get back again. And so I was so glad that I could do that. It's magical. I was very fortunate that I took the first year of my firstborn's life off of work and about 11 months in, that's when I started to tiptoe back into you know, into work life, but it was a magical year. It really was. And you're right. You can't get it back. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to take that time, take it and know that work will always be there. <laughs> you know, you have to believe in yourself to get back on the saddle and, and put yourself out there. I think a lot of women are fearful that if they fall out of the job market for too long, they can't get back in and, you know, I think that's a very real thing for a lot of women and also just economically, how do you make it work? Um, but that's, exactly. a, that's a whole other can of worms that we could probably yes. talk about for an hour, yeah. just yeah. needing to support these, these new moms better. But wow. So you took that year off, you started working again and how did you end up back in, in LA? Yeah. Well, so I did get back on television. I realized immediately like, oh, this is what I love to do. This is my purpose. This is my passion. These are kind of, you know, I'm one of those people. It's like, if I didn't do that, I don't know what I'd be doing with my life. So it's like, I, I kind of called to do this. This is my skill set. You know, how do we grow this? And it was after my second son, actually. So cut to about three years later, Kyle and I had Orion and he was a baby and I had been traveling back and forth to New York and LA for movie junkets. If you know what those are, that's when all the kind of domestic reporters across the country would come out. The movie studios would invite you to do interviews and whatnot. And so I was dipping my toes back into true entertainment news and I loved it. And I felt really filled up by that. I felt very fortunate that I had kind of the balance of you know, really great supportive system and husband at home in Indiana, but I could then take off and dip my toes into, to reporting. And I just started getting an itch, Alex. Like I was like, I had just turned 30. I was pregnant with Orion. And that's when I kind of started feeling this again, restlessness that, that, life for me there wasn't going to fulfill me in the way that I really, really wanted and needed, I think. And so um, I just had a, you know, all teams meeting with the agents and everybody, my mom, uh, you know, and said, what if it was that really kind of seismic, transformative time in my life? I'm like, what if, you know, I tried, you know, to, to get a job in Hollywood? What would that look like? I mean, I was that girl with by the way, two kids in diapers staring at E! Red carpet coverage going, 
I like, I think I could do that. I really think I could do that. You know, and by this time I'd had, you know, a good six years under, well, no longer than that. I had a 10 years experience by that point. So I had been working for 10 years, five days a week, bar the year Austin was born. And I, I kind of, it was one of those things where it's like, if you don't try, you'll never know. And wouldn't, you know, um, it was like three months later when after a round of auditions here in Los Angeles that I got the job on E. So that was in 2006. What an amazing journey. And we're going to come back and pick back up at E in a little bit, but let's take a few steps back to your first pregnancy. I'd love to hear a little bit about that experience. Wow. So at the beginning, it's probably like it is for most people. It's kind of exciting. You know, you're just trying to get like, am I going to feel him move? I'm going to feel a kick. Like what's going on? You know, you're you're swelling. Suddenly my jeans weren't fitting. All those things. Everything really shifted when I was about 17 weeks pregnant. Back then, um, that's when you know, you get your first ultrasound and you hear the heartbeat for the first time. You know, I know so much has changed in the last 20 years, but back then it was literally like, you didn't see pictures of your baby. There was no like four dimensional anything. You literally just would go in. And that was such a big milestone in your pregnancy journey back then. That was like the first time you're like, this is real. I'm growing a life inside of me, you know? So that day we were listening to the heartbeat that was there. They were, you know, measuring everything going on, making sure like he was growing at the pace that he was supposed to. And you can find out the sex back then you had to wait till about 17 or 18 weeks. Wow. And, um, I know I don't even know what it is today. I know just so much has changed. How, how, how soon can you find out the sex now? I think it depends on how you conceive, but if you conceive naturally, I guess you would say it's typically around 10 to 12 weeks, I believe. Okay. Although I think there okay. are some ways you can find out earlier. Yeah. Okay. But that's so a long time to wait. I mean, you're, you're well into your second trimester. It's wild. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was like, I was in full on sweatpants by then and I could, you know, <laughs> I, I looked pregnant, Yeah. but we were in that, in that session with, um, the nurse who was doing all these me- measurements, the technician and something shifted. And she left the room and she said she was going to get uh, Dr. Sandberg on the phone. I'll never forget that moment. And I looked at Kyle and I said, oh my gosh, something's wrong. And he's like, no, 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 everything's fine. I was like, oh no, something's not right. She's getting the doctor. She said, well, we're going to talk to the doctor today. She's getting the doctor. Um, and they came in the room and said that they, they were a little alarmed that my, my cervix was very, very short and a, a normal cervix, I believe is supposed to be like four centimeters long. And I was like less than half of that. And that's, you know, a cervix is essentially the, the part of your body that, you know, holds the weight of the baby and stays very closed and tight until you, you are giving birth. And then it opens up, sends out and the baby's born. They're like we need that to be strong and be healthy or else you'll have preterm labor symptoms. And that's no good. It started with, oh, just try a week of bed rest. Nothing changed. Um, and so it at 20, I think I was 20 weeks along and my doctor gave me three options and he said you can either get this surgery you can elect to get a surgery but it is dangerous because you're so far along and if we puncture the, the sac and the water comes out like you would go into labor so there are some dangers associated with this or we can do nothing and just see what happens but again if you have a baby too early we all know that you know the possible side effects and what the risk is involved with that and third in the state of California you could still choose to abort your baby until 24 weeks i mean i was wow. like what you oh know these my. are my options. <laughs> it was so oh my stressful God. so overwhelming so and this stressful. is your, your first pregnancy and and uh, the medical term for this condition is an incompetent cervix. Is that correct? Exactly. And what was this surgery called? And tell us a little bit more about what it would entail. Obviously, what did you do? They call it a cerclage stitch. So essentially I had, I did elect to do that. That was my decision was to try to reinforce the the strength of my cervix and you, um, you get a a spinal um, so that you're essentially, you know, lifeless from the waist down. You don't feel a single thing. And it it was, it was quick, but it was like, I mean, you can imagine, you know, it was very, 
was very, very difficult. And the stitches, like, you know, they described it as like fishing wire that they just kind of go in, they're suturing it up and they just literally stitch together your cervix so that it can't come apart on its own. And that wasn't like a safe guarantee. Like they're like, if you start having contractions, like it's still a very, very serious thing where you you have to prevent labor from starting because then if you go into labor, they have to undo it, right? Because there's a lot of complications that can happen and, and in danger there. So, you know, the surgery, I don't remember it being, other than being highly stressful, I don't remember it being terrible, but I but after that, for me, and then, and again, this was 20 years ago, but but it meant bed rest for the rest of my pregnancy. And when I say bed rest, it was like, you're showering on a stool, you cannot get off the couch, you know, it was literally just from 20 weeks. So that was, and, and the, the big goal it's another was 20 just, weeks, right? <laughs> More or less. How, how far along were you when you delivered? And tell yeah. us a little bit about that so the experience. beautiful beautiful part about that whole experience was that austin ended up being three weeks early which is of course completely normal these days you know i went to 37 weeks we had a couple scares along the way so i was in the hospital a couple times where they were trying to prevent me from going into labor so there were some definite highs and some definite lows and you know, when you're on bed rest that long, you know, my body was, all my muscles were atrophying, you know, and I just didn't have much strength. And then, you know, you're sitting there with your thoughts for, you know, half your pregnancy. But the beauty was, you know, I had so many wonderful friends and people rally around me. I just have the loveliest memories of just friends and community coming to my side and bringing me dinner and hanging out literally at my feet for, you know, for months. And I, I wrote a journal to Austin where every single day I was just journaling, like, we're going to get you here. You're going to be the miracle baby. Let's cry. You know? And so, yeah, <laughs> so it, was, it was amazing. It was beautiful. I feel such a connection to him. And I'm telling you, like through that whole experience, it really made that first pregnancy again, although it was, <laughs> it was you know, I felt I felt like there was a, a purpose behind kind of getting him here. And then when he was born and like I've always told him, I'm like, this is all just, you know, this was I was just the the vessel. But this was all supposed to get you here. It was all supposed to happen. And, and it's yeah, nice. On the topic of bed rest, do you have any tips or suggestions for anyone that might be grappling with that right now? Anything? <laughs> You learned. Obviously, the journaling is a really great tip, but anything else? Okay. Well, you guys have your phones. Let me just take yes. that a step further. I didn't have a phone. Like, we oh didn't my have God. iPhones. Okay. What did you do? Now, <laughs> daytime imagine. TV. <laughs> imagine what you were doing oh my in God. 2001. We may have had like Nokia phones, but we did yeah. not have social media and we certainly didn't have anything to scroll. So, I. So read a lot of books, get your Audible on, all of that. You know what I did do? I am not craftsy at all, Alex. And I I, I, I made Christmas ornaments, little Martha Stewart, like beaded Christmas ornaments, like over my belly like this. And, and to this day, every Christmas, like I'm always like, these are the ornaments I made oh. when you were in my tummy. Because it's like the so only sweet. thing I've ever made. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. And and I know you asked advice for girls, but yeah, mm -hmm. listen to books, read books, you know, yeah. I think Those fill your brain, you know, nourish your, your brain while you can be still. I do think that a lot of women could benefit. There might be some women listening who are like, I'd love to be on bed rest, please. That'd yes. be really nice. <laughs> right? Like an induced time out for me that I don't yes. feel bad about. But when he was born, hallelujah, healthy and, and amazing. And by the way, my delivery went great. Um, I suffered from, I believe it's called gorephobia because I hadn't left the house wow. in so long. Oh and you God. are disconnected because I didn't have a phone. I wasn't on social media. So I felt so isolated, even though, you know, yes, I did have some friends come by a little bit. When he was born, I really did suffer from the almost fear of leaving my house. So that took a minute. I like going out to dinner was like really, really difficult for me. I didn't want to leave. And even like I had to really work at that and take some short walks and really work on getting back into normal society. Yeah. Wow. Did you 
Do you believe that might have been also a byproduct of like postpartum depression or anything of that? Looking back, maybe. Yes. No, I don't know. And again, I feel like back then it wasn't, you know, in the conversation nearly as much as it is today. And so, you know, I don't even think a single doctor asked me that, to be honest. And so, and, and I'll take it even one step further with the incompetent cervix and the possible agoraphobia and, you know, all these things that I'm like, what is going on? I feel alone and I feel paralyzed, even though I'm not now. And, um, but there, there wasn't community. So I, I just feel like I'm, you know, we, we talk about the downsides of social media all the time, but like the fact that women can connect through your podcast, through these communities, like it's so amazing. Cause I didn't even have, like, I barely had a message board. I could like try to figure out to go on to go, does anybody else feel like this? It was really, really, it was really tough. Yeah. I feel like also even, you know, as little as like five years ago, women weren't really sharing the reality of what was happening around this motherhood journey. So I can only imagine 20 years ago how alone you must have felt. You mentioned going on walks to, you know, and slowly kind of starting to get out there. Was there anything else that you did that helped you get over those fears in those those early days? I think sharing and communication is so important. You know, I, it's something I tell my kids today. It's just like, as far as mental health goes, it's like, it's only, you know, worse if you hold it in and you're not sharing. So I, I luckily kind of knew that instinctively to talk about it with my mom, to talk about it with my husband, to really, you know, whom, whomever was in my life, I, I did share and I didn't hold those feelings to myself. So, you know, I think that's really, really key, like regardless of how anybody's feeling to just not be afraid to share, because even just speaking it is helpful. Even if you don't have the solution, even if you don't have, you know, the manual, even if you don't have a A to Z strategy, like speak it and there's a release there and there's a relief there. And you, and you, I think it's, you know, it, it helps. There's some momentum there when you let go a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. What a wild journey. And you had your other son, what, two or three years later? Mm-hmm. Were you fearful of that experience and birth? And did you have to deal with some of the same challenges regarding your cervix health and, and get another procedure? Yeah. So Ryan, we got pregnant with Ryan about three years later and the doctor then just said, okay, now that we know what we know, let's do what they called a preventative cerclage. So I had the same procedure, but it wasn't nearly as serious because we did it much, much sooner. Um, in the first trimester didn't feel great. I never want to minimize those because I think like women go to the doctor and like have any, you know, whether it's any kind of OB appointment, I think is really hard on our bodies. And it's like, we're just kind of taught to be like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just part of being a woman. I'm like, that doesn't mean it's nice. And that doesn't mean like we should minimize how that feels. Yes. And Very so I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, like, was I in surgery for a day? No, but yeah, I remember it really hurt. I remember thinking, oh, you're doing this cerclage, but you know, like wanting to scream, it hurts so bad. Cause you know, I don't know, I didn't have any meds or, you know, we're, we're supposed to like white knuckle half of this stuff. And I was like, that wasn't nice. Um, but it worked. So I'm incredibly grateful that I had that kind of security of knowing that that was in place with the second pregnancy. I remember, I think the doctors then saying, you know, you should probably stop here with these kids. You know, you don't want to necessarily, you know, roll the dice too many times and have more complications. Um, but Orion was full term. Everything was great about that pregnancy. Um, that delivery was again, two really easy labors. So um, that's great. Yeah, and two healthy kids. So oh, it's great. I mean, that's all you can ask for. Right. And it also just goes to show that Every pregnancy is so different, even in the same body. People have this fear that like, oh, the first was so awful. And it, it might happen, but you know, there is that fact that it can be very different each time, which can be really encouraging after, you know, an initial experience like you had, Yes, you know? In some ways your body knows what to do, right? Because it's done it before. So I do, I did get that sense a little yeah. bit. Good. Well, let's fast forward. We have so much ground to cover because- you are just absolutely fascinating. You've done so much in your career, but also your career as a mother. And I want to flash forward and talk about your experience working as a single mom. 
Um, obviously, later in life, you were navigating these waters as a on, on solo mom duty, as I would refer to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, you I public- like that <laughs> solo mom duty sounds. I hate the word the single mom thing. I use it, but I'm like, I wish there was another way to say that solo mom duty. Yes, I like that. So you publicly left Eve due to something that we call the motherhood penalty. And, you know, for those listening, it's a phenomenon by which women's pay decreases after they become a mom. You know, mothers make 58 cents for every dollar paid to a father. And that's wild. And we get very loud about it here at Parallel. And this is obviously something that, you know, you were directly impacted by and really took a stand. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that experience. Well, it's interesting. The motherhood penalty, I'll be completely honest, you know, that piece didn't become as clear until after the just straight inequality and wage gap became blatantly obvious to me. So I had been at E for almost 12 years. And so, you know, kind of going, going, you know, up the ladder, if you will, and getting more responsibilities. And my profile was rising and I loved my job. I remember watching you during those 12 years. Oh gosh, really? Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I remember just watching you. So by the way, it's very surreal to be talking to you right now, but you were the face of that brand. Oh, well, that is so sweet. And you're so nice, Alex. Well, you know, some of the higher ups apparently didn't feel that way because they certainly didn't want to pay me for being the face of the network. That's kind of what happened. I mean, to be to be blunt and, and you know, there's something about the, the word experience and, and knowing your self-worth when you really, really have been at something for so long, right? Like you can't deny, like... I've been at this a really, really long time. I think I'm good at what I do. I think, you know, I have a level of expertise. And so when it was pointed out to me by another female executive that I was, quote unquote, severely underpaid compared to my male counterpart, Jason Kennedy, one of my dearest friends, we were kind of speaking of parallel, like we were, we were, you know, parallel at the network yeah. in, in most respects, similar profiles, similar you know, position came to the network at the exact same time. And it really frustrated me when it was pointed out to me that I was paid severely less, but then also after doing my own research and investigating, um, he was making more than double than me, more than double. And we got there the same year. Right. So I was, angry. I was embarrassed. I was concerned, but I really, really thought they would do the right thing. I thought information is power. I'm going to take this to my team. My contract was coming to an end. So we'll just ask for ballpark. I didn't even say pay me this much or else. It just said, eh, let's be honest. I'm, I'm not where I should be on the scale here. Let's, let's get an even playing field going. So they refused I had a decision to make. Would I stay or would I go? I did a lot of soul searching. And at the end of the day, I just knew it would be a disservice to the viewers. It would be a disservice to my soul. It would just, it wouldn't serve anyone if I were to stay and be bitter about the reality that, um, that it wasn't fair. I was being, you know, it was unequal pay. Um, and so I learned so much, Alex, when I left, I mean, that's when that's when I really started to understand the gender pay gap, how prevalent it is across all industries for women, women of color in particular. And so I just felt a real duty and obligation to learn as much as I could about it for others. I mean, that's honestly like, yes, this was my single story and yes, it sucked and yes, it was unfair. But then, you know, that beautiful international audience from, you know, women all over the world were just saying, you have the reach. Now, please keep speaking about this, please. But you started a conversation that needed to be had. And again, 10 years ago, it was a really different world. I mean, look what has come to bear in the past 10 years. And, you know, pay gap, the Me Too movement, all of these things have really been gaining traction because finally women have a platform and women have the confidence and support to speak up. And the women before me, I mean, I can't take the credit. It was the women 
before me who were starting those conversations that gave me the courage to do it. I mean, we were in the thrust in the middle of the Me Too movement. And I was reporting on these women every day. And I'm like, wow, oh, good for them. That's amazing. Go, girl, go. And so then when it happened to me and I, you know, I was in the middle of that whole, that whole chapter, I thought, well, I have to do it too. I can't be silent. I have to use my voice. I have to speak up. Yeah. But the mother, just to answer your question though, as it pertains to the motherhood penalty, that's when I really, you know, at first it was just very black and white. He's a male, you know, this doesn't feel right. You know, hold on a minute. By the way, I picked up a second show at the time. I felt like I was working more hours and I wasn't getting rewarded for my efforts. Um, That's one thing. And that happens every day, again, across all industries. But the motherhood piece in reflection, it was during that first year away from me that I started to really realize, hold on, wait a minute. I was one of those moms who never, ever wanted to use being a mother as an excuse for not being in a meeting or not working nights and weekends or, you know, so the invisible labor that we do as moms on top of being in the workforce. Like, so yes, that's yet another thing because I have to wonder if that was in there as part of their decision to let me go. Number one, Mm -hmm. I'm a mom, you know, there's a premium on your head, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. We don't have that support for women. I mean, I read somewhere that you had hired a driver to help get your kids to school because you were working so much. But oh, tell yeah. me about this. It's wild. <laughs> well, if you're comfortable talking about it, oh, yeah, I just I don't, oh, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. It wasn't even that I was working so much. It was it was the hours too were difficult. But I mean, if you think about it, you know, my, the last year at E, I had to be at E at seven a.m. every morning to yes, get in hair and makeup. There were some glamorous sides of uh, of being on television every day, but that meant you know I had to leave the house at six forty-five a.m. and so. Yeah, how do your kids get to school, right? So that's um, that. Those are all factors that we have to consider. And so, again, I want to make it clear: like I'm very close with their dad, and we co-parent. And I was very lucky that he was in the vicinity and he took up a lot of the weight of, you know, raising them. But they were primarily in my home, and in the day to day, who's going to do that? So yes, I. I think his name was Tommy. I found like a young 20 something guy and he was my driver and I paid him like 50 bucks a day to like, I mean, by the way, expensive. That's yes. not nothing. Yes. I need to get my Very kids expensive. to school. Yeah. Yeah. And pick them up. So you're coordinating all of this. You know, you'd be, I'd be like on set in my stilettos, booking dentist appointments, missing doctor's appointments. I mean, every mother you know, who works outside of the home can relate to what oh, yeah. that feels like. Taking care of ourselves. I mean, that's a, it's a huge area that falls by the wayside. It's like, okay, I just got to take care of everyone else. And then, you know, we're standing there I'm like, wait a minute, I forgot to take care of me and now I'm paying for it, you know? Oh, yeah. It's just, it's brutal. My yeah. God, what a wild chapter of life. <laughs> It was wild. And I, but I, again, I know I'm not alone. That, that motherhood penalty taxes is, is a very real thing. And I'm glad that's now in the conversation too, because I just read something. What was it yesterday? Somebody said, like, why is it that when a mom works out of the house, we call her a working mom. And when a dad works outside the house, we call it oh. a dad. Oh, this gets me going every <laughs> time. It's such a double standard. I mean, even the question of mom guilt, do we ask dads about dad guilt? It's just, it's all so gendered and skewed and we're pointing it out now. Again, I just at least love that. I love that it's changing. Same thing with equal pay. I mean, again, an upside to having conversations socially on media, because at least it's happening. I think people are going to start to like make shifts slowly, but surely. And, and maybe that'll be a thing of the past one day. I mean, I think another big thing is just women in leadership. You know, I think that having more women, especially mothers that understand and have been there and can empathize and create more flexible work environments, more equitable work environments, that's important too. And I think there's lots of incredible men out there that have that same view, but I do think that there is an older guard that kind of needs to be disrupted and you really, you know, you gave it a big old poke and did it, you know, started a really big conversation. So, Mm -hmm. you know. Thank you for that. 
No, you're absolutely right about leadership. It's so, so exciting to see all the female founders, all the female CEOs. I have a lot of them on my podcast and they are speaking to exactly what you just said. Like we're changing the workplace culture in general. Like it's so wonderful to be supported. Like it's making it all possible. So you don't have to completely burn out. You don't have to sell your soul just to have a job that you love and you can still be a good mother and feel that balance. It really is possible. And these places are being created now for us. And it's just, it's really, really, really exciting. It it definitely is. I want to shift quickly to your podcast. It sure is a beautiful day. I want you to tell us a little bit about what you speak about there. And then I'd also like to shift into talking about this amazing new video series you've started. So tell us a little bit more about the podcast. I love podcasting so much. It's such a different space, I think, than, you know, highly produced TV. As much as I loved that, the the podcast space just allows for really meaningful conversations. So that was really a no-brainer for me after leaving television, although I like to say I'm not not done completely, but um, to really focus on that as a weekly show, I have a podcast called It Sure Is a Beautiful Day. And it's really interesting because it's such a 180 from my life of reporting on celebrities and the Kardashians and the housewives and, you know, what's Taylor Swift doing today? You know, it's so different. Um, I'm really just creating a space mostly for my female audience to focus on their own personal growth and focus on health and wellness and how do we feel good in our bodies and how do we nourish and nurture ourselves every day in an often a spiritual way, in an existential way, in a, you know, in all the ways, basically. So I have on all kinds of different guests from, from founders to, to actresses, some people still in the celeb space to chefs, to authors, to, you know, gurus. And it's not all female guests, but it is mostly female guests. Um, And we're just having really vulnerable, meaningful conversations. You know, my whole thing has been about, you know, we feel less alone when we share our stories. Uh, this is my second podcast, so I have been at it now for about three years. And people seem to to come and feel a sense of, of joy and being uplifted a little bit. And so I, I really, really um, enjoy the experience and and love, again, that community that you can create with just all of us can do it now with a mic and some headphones Absolutely. in our house. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I have to tell you, I obviously have been listening to your show and I was very intimidated to record with you today because like, oh my God, she's such a professional. I hope I can, you know, stay up to snuff with her. You're, <laughs> you're nailing the best. it. You're <laughs> nailing it. If you weren't so smart and talented, didn't have a thousand things going on, I'd say, come on, let's do our own show. But you're, <laughs> I know, you're, right? you're doing great, girl. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think, uh, you know, that vulnerability, though, that you bring to the conversation and just really shape around the entire show is also something that I would suspect inspired you to start this new video series called Midlife and Me. Tell us a little bit about that. It's so interesting. You know, you use the word vulnerability and, and sometimes I'm like, is is there such a thing as too much? I mean, I, I'm sharing a lot right now. I'm sharing a lot about my real life. And I, I'm doing that because so many of my listeners and my followers have kind of asked for that. And it has taken me out of my comfort zone for sure. Because for someone who was always only asking the questions for 20 years of my career, it's been a real exercise to go, oh, let me just share it all and kind of vomit my life in, uh, for you guys. Um, but but yes, Midlife in Me was really born out of, firstly, uh, you know, some personal challenges with just growing older and my body changing and not really having anybody to talk to about it. And, you know, there is a real stigma surrounding this idea of perimenopause and menopause. And it used to be this big old ugly, dirty word that, you know, you knew what it was, but you didn't really know the specifics because when it comes, it comes and then you just get through it. And then that's, you know, that's chalk that one off the list. Right. And so I have just been very, very compelled to change that. Um, I have a, it's a digital series, it's subscription only, but it's texted directly to your phone. And it is just a limited series to see what comes of this, you know, it won't be around forever in this iteration. But you know, I'm just talking about 
periods. I'm talking about irregular periods. I'm talking about sore boobs. I'm talking about hot flashes. I'm talking about sleepless nights. I'm talking about low libido. I'm talking about plastic surgery. I'm, you know, it's kind of, it's all the things. Um, and, and making it so that it's a safe place to talk about all the things. And so I, I told my, my, subscribers, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to not use a filter, by the way, that's another thing that's really hard to do when you're 48. I'm like, love that. not a single filter. I'm gonna, like, I'm coming to the, the screen with like no makeup. I'm like, you know, rolling out of bed. I just took people to my colonoscopy this last week where I was like, it was, it was all the rawness. It just dawned on me that like, just even the way we're educated about our bodies, you know, so much emphasis is put on you know, periods, getting your period, becoming a mother or childbirth, pregnancy, but then it kind of falls off. There, there isn't a lot of information or wasn't a lot of information out there about this season of life in particular, midlife. What is it like? How does your body change? What you can expect and all the ways you can combat feeling, you know, all of the negatives. There really are resources available. There really, really are practices we can put in place to, optimize our health at this age. So I just, I, I don't want women to feel like this is it, give up, roll over and just wait it out. You know, I interviewed my mom actually about it. I was like, what did you do during perimenopause? And, and she was like, well, I tried one thing and then my doctor wasn't that helpful. And then I just survived. I mean, that's what we're so used to doing. And like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to just survive. No, I want to thrive. No. Let's go. I, I love that. I think you touched on so many things that are important to us here at Parallel and why we felt deeply compelled to start this business was beyond just our products, it's just the education. We are women and we inhabit these bodies every day. We have no idea how to use them, how to nurture them properly, how they work. And especially perimenopause, it's something we don't talk about. We hear about, we've heard a little more about menopause, but what is perimenopause? How did you know that you were entering perimenopause? Tell us a little bit about that experience. I have been so fortunate to have just really, I don't know if it's great genes or, you know, I haven't like killed myself to the point where I've had really, really a pretty healthy life. And it wasn't until my maybe early forties, mid forties, where I started feeling like an alien in my own body and I just, everything felt off. And I was just like, why am I so bloated? Like looking like I'm pregnant at 43. Like why, what, what is that? Why is that going on? And then it was, um, my boobs were even getting huge. That was different. So I was like, why are my boobs swelling? And then I would have hot flashes. And so I went to my, um, acupuncturist who focuses and specializes in Chinese Eastern medicine. And so I started a series of just like acupuncture and, um, and herbs and teas. And I started drinking all of that. And that did tend to help me, but she pointed out it's, you know, hormone, it's hormone related. This is perimenopause. This is what's beginning for you. I didn't even like really make that connection. I was like, Oh, so I'm like, can't sleep and I'm really hot. Like I really literally didn't even think that was a hot flash. I was like, oh, that's an actual hot flash. Oh my gosh, it's happening, you know? So that that's when I kind of knew I was on a new a new journey in a different space and time with my body. And I, and I wanted to try and remedy that and find out as much as I could on, on how to get that balance back. Incredible. Well, we are planning big things for that very chapter. So we'll have to stay in very close touch. Um, oh, you know, we, we call ourselves parallel. Yeah, we, we call ourselves parallel because we want to stay parallel to wherever a woman is in her hormonal journey. And as we know, we've got a lot of stages <laughs> like our uh, our counterparts. So, you know, I, it's just amazing what you've created in terms of resourcing. And I know it's something that I and my friends will definitely be listening to. There's one last thing I want to talk about, which seems so relevant for all of these stages. You know, body change is a very big topic at every stage of motherhood and even womanhood, um, especially in our society from postpartum pregnancy. And of course, as we, we get older, you know, what has been most helpful to you in embracing these changes, especially mm. someone so public, you know, every, mm. you've got a lot mm. of eyes on you. 
Well, I would be lying if I said it doesn't consume my thoughts. Aging, you know, I made a career out of being a visual in a visual medium where I knew, you know, that part of my value came from my physical appearance. I mean, there's no way around that. And that is a fact. Um, For me, so much of it has been about going in and doing the interior work. I mean, truly in the last two years, and I credit the pandemic in many ways, like I had a pretty low, low after a really bad breakup. And I just started this, this journey where, you know, whether it was my hot yoga or reading intensely and, you know, studying some Buddhism and Pima Chodron, by the way, one of my favorites, if anybody's listening, all her books, like I contribute to healing me and learning meditation. Like these were things, gosh, by the way, when I was a full-time working mom with kids who were young and in school and on the go, I never did that for myself. You know, I encourage people listening, like find the time, carve it out. It is so nourishing to be able to do that work because what that does is it really makes you comfortable in your own skin. It makes you love yourself in a way by stepping into those choices every day consistently, you just learn a love of self. And so That has helped me with the aging piece, the vanity piece, the ego piece. That doesn't mean I don't want to look my best. That doesn't mean that I don't want to keep my Botox up. That doesn't mean that I, you know, don't, you know, I'm, I'm considering a pretty serious surgery soon and, but that's okay. I always say it's like the, the balance, all the Botox in the world is not going to make you love yourself. But if you're doing the other work, and you, you know, look in the mirror, like who's there on the inside, you know, at night, and you can sleep well with that free conscious conscience, then therein lies a really peaceful place. Completely. I mean, do what makes you happy <laughs> at the end of the day. It's like, we're so focused on arriving and these goals. And it's like, how can I make this moment as enjoyable as possible? How can I you know, feel as good as possible in this moment. And I think those are some really great resources, especially meditation. I, I often joke that, you know, the reason my heart is beating today is because I found meditation and it's, it is just, it changes my, my whole physicality and mental approach for the day. It's amazing. That's so powerful. What a beautiful thing. My heart is still beating because of meditation. That is so, so cool. And for people who kind of have an allergy to it or think it's not for them, I mean, meditation can look a million different ways, right? To to whomever you are, however you want to do it. And even if it's two minutes, I think you can make a shift. Oh, I often have to do three, four, five minutes and it, calms me. I just, I have dealt with some paralyzing anxiety and, you know, a lot of, a lot of my own stuff. And it's just, it's a, it's a tremendous gift and it's free. (laughs) Totally free. All right. Well, I want to wrap up one final question. Mm -hmm. What is the most valuable thing you've learned about yourself during your motherhood journey? I think I just have a limitless capacity to love. I think my children have, have taught me that. I mean, they're the the living, breathing example in front of me every day. Um, They are love, my ability to love them, my ability to love myself. I, you know, I always say that my kids teach me more than I've probably taught them. I have that conversation with moms a lot. It's like, you know, it's almost like the reverse engineering. We, our job is to birth these little lives and then teach them and grow them and feed them and guide them. Oh man, no, no, no. I mean, yes, while that can be true, the same is also true that they reveal so much in us every single day, every single day. And it never ends. I'll just just wrap that up with, I took my boys to Disneyland yesterday because that was a thing we did every year kind of growing up. It was like our thing. We took our picture on Main Street for all these years. And I have 
one going to college, moving away from California this summer. I have the other one moving out of my house and finishing college this summer. So they're both launching. Wow. And empty nest. I, ha- I, I mean, so I said, I said, do you guys want to go to Disneyland one more big hurrah? You know, it was kind of like, and they were like, yeah, yeah, we want to go. We want to go. So yesterday we were at Disneyland all day together. And it was, I, it was just so, it was just such a full circle moment and just, you know, and it was, um, it was kind of emotional and, and really cool, but it just to reflect on all that. But even yesterday, my point is that even yesterday, they were, they teach, they were still teaching me. I mean, it's just so, you know, that quality time is, is so incredible and I never take it for granted. Teacher is student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> beautiful. Always. That's so beautiful. You are so deeply wise. I just love your perspective and some of the levity you bring to this and my goodness, thank you so much for, for sharing with us and being so open. Oh my goodness. It is my pleasure. Keep doing this incredible work you're doing. Thanks for tuning in to Parallel Lives. Stay tuned for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com or on Instagram at Parallel Health. I'm Alex Taylor, and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode was made possible by the company that I co-founded alongside my co-founder, Tori, and Dr. Bayati, which is Parallel. We are the first and only OBGYN-founded women's vitamin, offering targeted nutrition for each unique stage of the motherhood journey, from preconception through each individual trimester, because mom and baby need different nutrients to support them, and into postpartum. We created this product because we felt completely failed by the available options on the market. There was an opportunity to create more targeted nutrition for each of these stages. And so we turned to the nation's top doctors to formulate these products. So each product is meticulously formulated by our founding team of world-class doctors, which includes notable OBGYNs, widely published maternal fetal medicine doctors, award-winning endocrinologists in partnership with functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and even doulas. It was so important for us to create a product that both Eastern and Western medicine doctors could agree on. I personally take the mom multi-pack. I have a little one who's two years old and four years old, but we have incredible products for all the different stages. So for all of you listening, we are going to offer you a very exclusive 20% off your first month with code podcast 20. So head to parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com and use that code.